0: Good morning, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Good morning and a thank you. Spattering of response, I appreciate that. A lot of you know that Fondren Church shares this space, the building, the facilities with Woodland Hills Baptist Church. Uh, Years ago, three years ago, they opened their doors to us and we're so glad. What an answer to prayer. I believe it really is a modern miracle that this has occurred, that two churches so disparate at times can have so much love and so much unity uh, together. I share a third floor office The staff and I do with some from Woodland Hills who are part of their uh, deaf ministry some of the hearing impaired folks Most of them are elderly folks and very dear and I was talking this morning in the breezeway right here uh, To pastor Ty the pastor of Woodland Hills Baptist Church And I was telling him how I'm trying to learn some sign language to communicate with them more effectively And he was telling me that he began that process years ago And that when he started when he began learning some signs to communicate to them He thought he was saying to them good morning week after week he was signing good morning and then he learned that he was actually saying not good morning but up yours (laughs) so good morning everybody that's all i'm gonna say i received a text this morning from bob Pennybaker. a lot of you know bob he's one of our elders one of the ruling elders of our church one of the guys that helps shape our direction and the health of the overall organization i love bob i'd sent him a text last night Wishing him well on his travels, he and Martha take a team of folks to Italy. They do a tour. He's an arts professor at Belhaven. You can imagine how educational, inspiring that is to be in all the splendor of Italy with him. And he texted me back this morning and said, thank you for your well wishes. Uh, I'm taking my wife Martha to Venice on Mother's Day. What are you doing? <laughs> and I said, good morning, Bob. <laughs> I'm taking my wife to church. Hey, a few things, just sort of some family news or updates, if you will, and I want to challenge you in a couple of areas, but just a a fun and good season in the life of our church. Last Sunday, if you were here, you noticed that we honored um, eight graduating high school seniors who will be leaving JA and Jackson Prep and heading to University of Alabama and Auburn and Mississippi State and Ole Miss, and we wish them well and others with them. And this morning, stick around at the end after our uh, offering song, we'll be dedicating a whole bunch of babies And some folks are here today for that, we're so excited. just excited about that. We've got a trip coming up to Marks, Mississippi. I would love for you, not now because I want you to hear the sermon, but later I want you to Google Reclaim Project and we are praying through it. This could be one of our strategic partners as a church as they minister in the Mississippi Delta and all the way to Africa. And we have a trip coming up. Van Harden will tell you about at the end but I'm going to be going over. We have a trip Friday and Saturday. You can go one of those days, either Friday or Saturday or get a hotel room and stay and we're going to be involved in serving the people over there. A real cool thing we'll tell you more about but be thinking about that. It's just a great way to serve and to get to know some folks in the fondren church family turn to acts chapter three acts chapter three we are not going to put the passage up this morning because we're going to read the whole chapter and when you get there just uh put your thumb or index finger there and save it if you're tuning in on your digital device we trust you're not going to check instagram or anything like that of satan this morning Uh, acts chapter three we'll get there Victor Hugo has a famous quote. Have you ever heard it? There's nothing as powerful on earth as an idea whose time has come. There are a lot of bad ideas. You guys ever had a bad idea? I I can't even go there, right, when it comes to me. I, I can't do that from the stage. But there are what I call some good, bad ideas, okay? Good, bad ideas. Backstreet Boys have teamed up with Florida Georgia Line to sing, God, your mama and me, unconditionally. Can I just speak for Jesus and say, that's just a bad idea (laughs) all around. Clairol shampoo, taste of yogurt shampoo. Anybody remember that? Clairol developed a taste of yogurt shampoo. Apparently dairy products is good for your hair, but it's bad marketing. Microsoft, years ago in response to Apple's iPod, they they developed the Microsoft Zune. Anybody still ringing the Zune today, still have it? They, They took it off store shelves. Pepsi developed Pepsi Crystal. Anybody remember that? It looked, it had two fatal flaws, it, it uh, tasted like Pepsi and it looked too much like Sprite and they discontinued it. There's a lot of good, bad ideas. Now think about it. Those ideas were all developed with research, with educated people who thought about product development, who thought about market share, who thought about innovations and trends and what's needed. These women and men sat around conference tables and had these ideas and it wasn't just a whim, it wasn't just something they did. Uh, you know, quickly, it was well thought out. There are a lot of good, bad ideas. And Jesus had an idea some 2,000 years ago. And because of his idea, something formed called the church. Now, oftentimes today in modern America, we will say, well, we got a church, so let's figure out a mission. We, We got this church, people are coming to our church. What's our mission? Why are we here? But Jesus first gave the mission. And around that mission, they're formed a church. We've looked at the first church in Jerusalem as we study Acts. It's the first church of Jerusalem, the non-denominational church. And Jesus got it started. It was his idea. But he used unproven, unqualified and uncertain people to begin this movement. Think about that. 120? 120 waited, received his power and grew over 3,000 overnight after Peter's first sermon. But it's so interesting to think that they were so unqualified, unproven, and uncertain. One would think, one would observe, and one would probably conclude that they weren't going to make it. That this was a good, bad idea. That they would, they would fall away. That it would falter, it would fail. The, the founders, they would fight. That they would divide themselves and ultimately be done away with. That they would lose heart. All the persecution, being a minority, having such a paradoxical message, pointing to someone that they thought would be a conquering king, and he was a crucified savior. Ironic that this idea, called the church, that it, that it started in the shadows of the Roman Empire. By all human metrics and standards, one would think that the Roman Empire was a, was a brilliant idea. Brilliant st- Strong, sturdy, and stable. Chances are on your drive to Fondren Church this morning, you drove by maybe a dozen churches, but not a hint and not a trace of the Roman Empire. You see, the Roman Empire, in the Roman Empire, we see a picture of the strength of men. But in the church, we see a picture of the strength of God through men. These women, these men, they did what they were told from the beginning. They waited, and they waited, and the Holy Spirit showed up. And they preached Christ, and Scripture tells us that they were cut to the heart. People were cut to the heart. They saw signs and wonders and miracles performed among them. And this gospel message spread, it increased, and it multiplied to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And because of this, they wanted to be a people formed. They didn't want to be a collection of people, they wanted to be a connection of people. And it says they were devoted. They didn't dabble, but they were devoted in the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The book of Acts is not just a historical account of how the church is to be operated. It's not just an instruction manual on how we are to be utilized by the Spirit of God. It's a living statement that God wants to use you. He wants you to get out of the bleachers, off the sidelines, and into the game. The miracle of healing that we're about to read in Acts 3 and the sermon that we're about to see preached was, was God used a man named Peter and a man named John. Later, and let me say this for the understanding of this book, Peter is strong in the first several chapters and then Paul comes on the scene and we see God using him and working through him in a strong way. But God uses unlikely people. It's a message that we want to preach frequently. Because time after time after time, I gather the sense that we gather here and we're people that's beat up, we're people that's dragging something behind us. I went kayaking years ago with some friends and we, we paddled the Pearl at midnight when the moon was full. And we paddled and we paddled and I, I'm a pretty competitive guy and I got a brand new like 14 foot sleek yacht, this was years ago, yacht, Listen, to me, a, a yacht, a kayak, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm praying Founder Church will give me one day, a sleek yacht and a private plane, Gulfstream 4. Anyway, I was, I was paddling my kayak, dreaming about my yacht, and I, was, I got a lead. I got out in front, and I, I gathered that for the rest of the guys, it really wasn't competitive, but I wanted to be out front. I wanted to finish first. And then suddenly, I just started going slow. I started getting tired. I mean, really tired. I was working hard. I was doing double or triple the effort. Just really, really working hard. And guys started getting ahead of me. Most of the guys were getting ahead of me. A couple of the guys, sympathetic guys, were paddling at the back with me. And I didn't realize that a friend of mine named Marty Puckett, I'm going to talk about him since he did not go to our church, but Marty Puckett had tied a big branch underneath my kayak. And that thing was just dragging <laughs> the bottom, was, you know, pulling dirt, the, the rocks and everything. It just made it hard on me. And that can be our lives sometimes. We don't really deal with what's under the surface. We're so quick to paddle and move ahead that we don't really grasp what's holding us back. And Peter was a man who God used to do this miracle and preach this sermon, in which you'll see in a moment that thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus. They were, again, cut to the heart. He preached the same sermon. This was the second sermon. In the first jerusalem non-denominational church and the first sermon was very similar to the second that just makes me happy by the way just makes me happy some of you want something fresh all the time you want every word to be fresh peter repeated some of these dominant themes in his second sermon that he did with this first because they needed jesus so unlikely that god would use this man we say it often but your mess can be your message don't wait to start ministering to people Don't wait until you have it all together, until you're shiny, until you've overcome every fear and every obstacle and banished all doubt. Share your mess. It can be your message as you let Jesus redeem it. That's what we see in this man Peter as he brings this sermon. Here he is at an intersection between Judaism and Christianity, between BC and AD, between Old Testament and New, between the response of the crowd, would it be repentance or would it be rage? These were essentially the same people who heard Jesus or who heard a sermon and Jesus was presented in front of them and they had a choice p- between Barabbas, a murderer, and Jesus, the Son of God, and they chose Barabbas and they chose him to be set free and Jesus to die. And this was the crowd that Peter was preaching to an intersection of all these things. How many of you are afraid of public speaking? Like, you don't want to be up here. How many of you would be afraid of preaching in front of thousands of people? How many of you would be afraid of preaching in front of thousands of people when you just had your most embarrassing failure? Right there. Everybody. Me too. You too. And this is who God chose. And Peter preaches this sermon. He quotes Moses and cites the prophets and reminds them of the promises that God gave. To Abraham he says to this Jewish crowd I too am a son of the Israelites I am one of you Acts chapter 3 here's what I want us to do I want us to roll through we don't have the verses on the screen follow along if you don't have a Bible or device and I'll read first Peter chapter 3 now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple he asked to receive alms that's gifts money and Peter directed his gaze at him as John as did John and said look at us and he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them but Peter said I have no silver and gold but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk verse 7 and he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Here's the sermon. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, emphasis on us, though by our our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 17 and continuing, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send to Christ "...appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive unto the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days." You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That's a whole lot of scripture uh, to read in church. In fact, one of our young congregants didn't have the attention to uh, be able to stick with it. ADD, right? First Peter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3. Peter here, in this sermon, first of all, before the sermon, this miracle. And we're asking ourselves, as we begin this series and move through it, does, what, does God want to do today what he did then? And if he does, do we have the faith to even believe him? I want to sort of end on that in just a few moments. But I want to point you in some directions as we consider the miracle of healing. I believe the miracle from this narrative and also what is true in our lives today are what could be true. The first is this miracle of healing that we see in these first few verses of Acts chapter 3. It points us upward, upward. Look at verse 15 I believe it is, Acts 3.15, we'll have a few verses on the screen. And you killed who? The author of life whom God raised from the dead to this we are his witnesses. Verse 23 of the same chapter, and it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the temple. Every miracle doesn't point to a man. It doesn't point to a church. It doesn't point to a Christian celebrity. It points to the author of life. It points to the crucified son of God, the risen savior, the one who's the author of your life and mine. Every miracle pointing to him. Every life that hears the good news needs to hear and respond. Hear and heed and listen. Jesus spoke over and over and over again. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's God saying to you? What has God said to you through Jesus? It's really easy for us to seek the sign and not the Savior. And we see here that yes, the people are astonished. Yes, they they had the faith to, to make this declaration and to reach out to him and to lift him up. This man was a character. This man was a man of the city. Let me just say this to the church today. I think we need to hear this. This was in the urban center. This was in the city. God bless the farms and God bless the suburbs, but this was in the heart of the city. Those who are disabled, those who are crying out, are in the heart of the city today. And it's true of our city. It's true of Jackson. And I just want to encourage you I want want to encourage us because it can happen in my heart to watch the news and to see what's happening and then to be critical and to bemoan the city. So I pray for our city. I pray for those of us who live here and those of us who are praying about moving in. I had breakfast with a a man older than me Friday morning. He and his family are moving into Jackson, into Fondra, and his friends are saying, why? Why are you moving into town? But I pray that That you, as you're part of Fondra, wherever you live, wherever you drive from, that you would be a part of us, not being critical, but we would, as the prophet Jeremiah said, seek the peace and prosperity of our city. That we would be on the solution side of things. And the people that are hurting the, the most desperate needs in biblical days of New Testament, in our days today, are in the heart of the city. And here Peter and John, they have the faith to make the declaration and to bend down to lift him up. And imagine if you're that man, you're a character. You're one who people walk by time and time again. But these two, something special. These two, the faith to make the statement and to reach down and pick him up. But they point to the author of life. Again, I say it often, but the gospel demands a response. I prayed with a couple, a beautiful couple, right after the first service, the 930 service. And they shared with me a need that they have for physical healing. Something I wasn't aware of. Something I wouldn't be aware of looking at them. But they asked for this prayer. And they prayed for me. And they prayed for the 11 o'clock. And they prayed for our church. And they gave me an admonition. They said, Robert, God, I just feel like God is saying to us that people should never leave here the same way they came. That there's all kind of healing that needs to happen. All kind of healing that needs to happen in these church pews today. But every miracle that God does in his word, including this one Just like Peter did, he points upward. He could have received some credit. He could have made a lateral thing. He could have made it horizontal, but he pointed vertical, giving credit to not just the author of life, but to whom the one we must listen to and respond to because it leads to life, not to death. The first direction that miracles, all of God's miracles do that are authentic, they point upward. And secondly, they point forward. Forward. Look at this verse and the next verse. Whom heaven, I'm just picking it up mid sentence, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. There's suffering in this world. And like you, I'm at a loss to explain it. I know what scripture teaches, I know it tells us what suffering can do. Romans 5 says that if you're in Christ, you have peace with God, you've been justified. And it tells us that suffering can produce something in us. Suffering, it says, produces endurance. And endurance can produce proven character. And proven character can produce hope. And hope does not disappoint because God's love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the one, the part of God who's mentioned 47 times in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit, that love is shed abroad by Him. In our hearts, I can talk about suffering, the, the results of what God can do, but I can't answer the why of suffering. But I know that you and I have a part in it. There are three answers when it comes to suffering, as I understand it biblically. The first is the cross Jesus suffered for you, the weight and the sin of the world was placed on him. Not just the cross, but there's the church, you and I are called to play a part in the miracles and the healing, the relieving. As Revelation talks about, the healing of the nations, the church is to play a part in that. We are called to alleviate suffering, to see healing take place. Not just the cross and the church, but the city. There's a day when every tear will be wiped away. There's a city that God is building, and one day, There will be no more death and disease and war and poverty and racism and prejudice and hostility and all those ugly things that we see on the news and experience in our lives there will be a day and here peter is saying hey you see what happened i'm not going to be able to heal on demand i'm not healing everybody on demand all the time that's not what that's not the work of god there's a weight and there's a consequence and there's a brokenness and a fallenness and a sin stained world but it all It groans and it cries out to a world that will be. This is not the world God created. It's not the world that he wants or the world that will be. I believe Peter, as I've studied it this week, he's hearkening back to some prophets, particularly Isaiah, who in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 35 uses those two words, will be, will be, will be. In some ways, he's pointing to the coming Messiah. In many ways, he's pointing to the city that he's building, to the consummation of all creation. And he says it poetically and prophetically, that the wolf will live with the lamb, that the leopard will lie down with the goat, that the lion will eat straw with the ox, that the cow will feed the bear and their young will lie down in pasture together, that the infant will play next to a cobra's nest, that a small child will place its hand into a viper's den, He goes on to say that the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the tongue of the mute will be loosened and it will shout for joy and the lame will leap like a deer. What we see here in Acts chapter 3. And water will find its way into the wilderness and there will be streams in the desert. There will be a day, there will be a day. Every miracle of God, if it's from God, points upward to the author of life, to Jesus, away from man and to our Savior. And every miracle not only points upward, it points forward to a day when we will be healed, to the ultimate healing. But now we wait. I have probably sent 20 texts this week alone telling some of you that I'm praying for you. There are needs all around this room. And to be honest with you, in my heart, I wish I was Peter and John in Acts 3. I wish I had that on-demand miracle thing going, right? In fact, my heart's so dark, I don't even know if I'd point to Jesus. I'd I'd, I'd want a lot of attention. I'd want want to be on CNN, right? Some interviews. I'd want Time Magazine Man of the Year. I'd want some attention. I'd, I'd be tempted to make it about myself. But I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for God's miracle, whatever He has for you. Because some of you are waiting and some of you are hurting. And some of you have acute and chronic illness and pain. I point to a woman who is famous in our land. Who suffered a ski accident as a teenager. Joni Erickson-Todd, as she said the following. At the great marriage supper of the Lamb, the first thing I think I'll do on resurrected legs is fall to my glorified knees and praise the God of the resurrection and healing. And then I'll stand and I'll dance before Him with all my might. There's coming a day and it's a day that's forward. Every miracle points upward. Every miracle points forward. Every miracle, it also points inward to the ultimate healing that you need. Chapter three and verse six, the most famous verse in this chapter, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. God knows what you really need. He does. And he alone does. Some of you, you don't know me at all. Some of you don't know me but you think you know me a little bit. But you don't know me like my friends know me. But my friends don't know me. Like my family knows me. And my family doesn't know me like Susan knows me. And now I'm getting nervous, right? But Susan doesn't know me like I know me. She's getting nervous. But I don't know me like God knows me. And what I said about me, you can say about you. And God knows your wants. God knows your deepest needs. And for this man, he thought, oh, just to get alms, just to get a little bit. He was alive, so obviously he had some source of water, some source of food, some source of nourishment. Somebody had to give him that. He was not gainfully employed like most of us in here. So somebody was giving him something, and he thought that's what he needed, more silver, more gold. And God showed him that there's a greater need, that he wants to do more in his life. And I believe it's true for some of you today. God wants to do more than what you're asking or what you're thinking or what you're imagining. But there's a deeper need than silver and gold. There's a deeper need than even physical healing. And that's the soul sickness that we experience. Our ultimate need is at a soul level. And just as we can be lame, just as we can be blind, we can be spiritually blind. It's why Paul would say in Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, May God open the eyes of your heart to be enlightened so that you can see. Following Jesus is not about being a not so bad person and then making a decision to become a pretty good person. It's about being a dead person who Jesus makes into a living person. To be opened, to be removed from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. And here we see something happening inwardly at the deepest level. Imagine if you're this man. Imagine if your need was so abject, so dire. Imagine your situation so critical, so chronic. You would think as you watch everybody walk by you, oh, if I had legs that would work, then I would be happy. Now, is that true? Most of us in here can walk. But how many of us in here aren't happy? And all of us have that thing out there. That it seems like everybody's got. Oh, to have that, if I get that, then this. Then I'll be happy, and then I'll have what I need. It is Jesus who knows our deepest needs. And every miracle that he wants to do in your life and mine, and in the life of our church, will point us inward as well. And the last direction is a curious direction. It's one maybe that we don't want to hear, but it's downward. If you read Acts chapter 4, right, let me read it for you. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, by the way, that always happens. There are people who get cut to the heart who say, what must we do? People who repent, people who have their hearts changed because they're cut to the heart. People who come to their senses, who have the scaffolding, the blindfolds lifted from them. They see, but there are others who are annoyed. They arrested them, they arrested Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Every miracle in Acts leads to trouble for the miracle worker. There's a downward movement to the miracles that God wants to do. You see in our day, in our fictional day, superheroes, when they gain power they become invincible. But when God, when he does a work in your life and gives you power, you become vulnerable. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11 and right after that it says this, and from that point on they determined to kill him, a woman with an issue of blood reached to touch the hem of his garment. And maybe one of the most curious phrases in all of Scripture says from that, I'm sorry, says this, power went out from him. What does that mean? Jesus, fully divine, fully human. What does that mean? Power went out from him. When God does a miracle, when there's healing, the healing of one can lead off into the suffering of another. And we see these women and these men as God bursts this movement called the church. And as they grow and flourish, as they spread and increase and multiply, there's persecution. There's a pouring out of their lives. And here, Peter and John heal the man. Wouldn't you think? Great favor, great favor all around. But there were folks who were astonished and there were folks who annoyed. And it was the power structures. It was, let me say it carefully, it was the conservative people, right, who had things. They they ruled the day, so all change is liberal, right? And so the conservatives, the religious people, were nervous. And Peter and John paid a price for this. All throughout miracles in Scripture, there's trouble. After every miracle performed, there's trouble for the miracle worker. There's a downward slide. It's why I get nervous sometimes when I hear us talk about, well, I was obedient to Jesus, and here's my blessing. I did this, and God did this. Like, I want to smile and nod and believe every story I hear, especially if you're part of our church family. If I'm your pastor, I want to see God working in your life, and I want you to claim his promises and see them worked out in your life. It's one of my great joys. I believe when God says something about the Sabbath, I I think he'll honor your life if you honor the Sabbath. I think what God says about tithes and offerings, I think if you honor God in that, He will honor you. But I want us to be careful. And in an age of Christian celebrities, I was watching Joel and Victoria Olstein on TV this week. And just how much they're worth. Now, I don't want to bash them. I don't want to disparage anybody from this platform. But I, I just look at this beautiful couple in ministry. And I'm like, man, I wish I had their teeth. You know, I wish, <laughs> I, wish I had that. But I can't help but think, and I was watching as they were talking about Victoria, just from a business standpoint, that Joel Olstein's wife and her product line or skin care, whatever it is that she just sold on Oprah, advertised on Oprah, it's, it's, it's making more money than Joel Olstein's ministry. Hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars. And I can't help but think that we can get sucked into the vortex of that, the thinking that that's Christianity. A little bit of obedience and then blessing. More obedience, more blessing, on and on and on again. But Jesus calls us. He calls us to enjoy his blessings. 1 Timothy 6, he's given us richly all things to enjoy. But we have to be careful not to fall in that trap, not to drown in that. And to also know that he calls us to take up our cross, to daily follow him, to surrender and to sacrifice. And the miracles of the New Testament, I believe just as the miracles of our day, point us downward. As well as upward and forward and inward. So as we close... Consider the question, does God want to do the things today that he did there? In the church today, all around the world, there are two different camps. I'm going to speak in extremes, and I'm going to speak respectfully on both sides. There's a camp of folks called the Charismatics, and the Extreme Charismatics, I know we have some brothers and sisters among us, Uh, the Extreme Charismatics believe that all the gifts and all the works of God recorded for us in Acts in the New Testament are to be demonstrated, exemplified, personified, seen and manifest in every life and every church just as they were then identically. And on an extreme version on the other side there's a what is called cessationists, people who have studied the New Testament, have observed life and feel like that there's a list of gifts in the the Holy Spirit, but there are some that are temporary sign gifts, that when Scripture was complete, so were these gifts and they're not to be used today. And honestly, I don't believe either camp. I believe that God wants to do a work today and that He is the one, He's the one who distributes grace to give the gifts. He's the one that wants to produce fruit, and he's the one that determines what miracles and healings that we will see in our midst. I will say this as I've worked and traveled in my years of ministry with Campus Crusade for Christ. Literally going around the world, carrying the Jesus film with me, going to remote jungles and villages, being in a lot of different places where the gospel is being shared uh, to many people for the first time, I have seen miracles. I have laced a few of my sermons through the years with some of the miracles that God has done that I've seen miraculous signs where people have been filled with awe. You come in Fondren Church most Sunday mornings, you got a cup of coffee, right? It's hard to have awe with a cup of coffee. But there was, I've seen it. I've seen it and I believe it. And I believe scripture, when God wants to do a work, that he validates and authenticates the gospel message with signs and wonders. But I really do believe, I do do believe that we are in a new era, that we're in the Acts 29 era. And I don't believe that God wants to do everything that he did in that way exactly. There were apostles. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 12. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Daniel Wagner and Jeff Hightower and I went to Vancouver last week to connect with some church planters. And the times I got home and I told my wife, the times I thought, oh, I'm sacrificing and I'm tired and fatigued, and the the, the church is a burden for me, and it's weighing on me and my family, I I thought, you know, I'm not making any sacrifice. I look at these men and these women and their families living in Vancouver with a cost of living. Many of them are pastoring new churches and working multiple jobs. As we came alongside of them and heard their story, we heard stories of miracles. And I couldn't help but think of our sermon series in Acts and what I believe to be true, that when God begins a work, he, He performs some miracles. I believe he can do that and wants to do that in your life with new endeavors, with new journeys that he wants to take you on. And I believe he has that for Fondren as we move into our sixth year as a church family. But God doesn't heal everybody. In fact, look at Paul in 2 Timothy when he's close to his death. He says, Greek, Priscilla, and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus, remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. In other words, Paul is like us. He saw the works of God around him, but he also knew that folks got sick. Folks got so sick that they couldn't go on the missionary journey with him. That's true of us. And that's where we need to live. Praying and yearning and hoping and asking for any miracle. Just as I did with this young couple after the 930 service in prayer. I prayed that God would heal I pray that he would show up in the life of this family. And I'll pray that for you. But I pray that what we seek is ultimately a Savior. That ultimately we will deal with the sickness in our soul and the sin that cripples us. With every physical ailment, there's a spiritual parallel. And we neglect it. We don't listen to him at great cost. I want you, as our worship team comes up, I want you to bow your head with me. In just a moment, you're going to hear some music. In just a moment, we're going to ask you to stand for our offering for prayer time. And then we're going to have a sweet time as a church family as we dedicate these babies and see these families take the stage. But I want you now to ask God To ask God to help you to listen to Him. And to ask God to be with you in that hard place right now. The place where you're waiting on Him. And ask Him for any sign, any miracle. Ask Him to give you the faith to believe. I want to ask you to pray for our church, that God would break our heart for the city, that we wouldn't seek signs and miracles to puff us up or validate any of our insecurities, that we would be willing even to go downward, to descend. To see power and money and resources and energy flow out of us for the healing of the nations, the healing of the neighborhood.